Today's podcast is brought to you by Freshly. If you don't have a lot of time to cook, like me, but you still want to serve your family fresh, nutritious meals, well then Freshly is exactly what you need. Fresh meals are delivered right to your front door. Our listeners can get six dinners cooked for only $39. Just visit Freshly.com and enter promo code FLAN639. That's FLAN, like my last name, F-L-A-N 639, to start changing the way you eat. I'm Alex Flanagan, and this is the I Love to Watch You Play podcast. Today, we welcome onto the podcast the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, my friend Steve Kerr. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's hard to find free time these days. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Alex. And actually, you're definitely getting me at the right time. Not a whole lot going on in the, uh, the NBA world in August. So, uh, I'm enjoying the summer and, and happy to be on with you. Yeah, on that note, congratulations. Um, um, how has the run been? Are you still um, pinching yourself? Oh, my gosh. It's been so amazing, um, you know, to think about. This is my first real coaching job, you know, other than coaching my son's eighth grade AAU team. <laughs> so to, to really, you know, step into this job with the Warriors and inherit this roster and ownership group and fan base. I mean, it doesn't get much better. So I'm really lucky. Let's start with that. Since you brought it up, coaching the AAU team, um, how, how does it differ coaching <laughs> the pros and coaching your own child? <laughs> well, we didn't have to pay anybody for the AAU team. That was good. It right. was a volunteer operation. <laughs> uh, At least but, not that um, you know of. <laughs> yeah, not that we know of. Maybe some of the parents who were in there paying. I'm not sure, but it was really actually, believe it or not, it actually did help me prepare in some ways. I know that sounds crazy, but there's a lot of similarities because coaching is really nothing more to me than relationships and communication. And I had to do that with all the kids on our team and the parents on our team. And, and obviously it's a different level, an entirely different level, but it really is about getting to know people and you know, understanding what makes them tick and, and trying to get the best out of them. And so I did that for about, I think, three years with my son. It was like probably seventh, eighth, and ninth grades, or sixth, seventh, and eighth, maybe. And uh, it was so much fun. I had a blast. Obviously, I'm having a blast now doing what I'm doing with the Warriors. But coaching is coaching. I mean, it really is. It's uh, It's so much fun just to be part of the group and try to get the ship going in the right direction. Steve, what was your philosophy back when you were coaching Nick, just in terms of, was it everybody gets to play? Let's like grow the kids and make sure they get um, their leadership skills. They're all of those things that you're trying to instill in them. Or at some point, does it get to be like, hey, these are the starting five and these are the kids that deserve it? Well, you're going to laugh, but we, we took kids just from our neighborhood. It was basically, basically when we moved to San Diego right after I retired from playing, my son, Nick, played on a local club team, had a decent experience, but I wanted to coach, and we decided to start our own club team the following year. And I didn't really want to recruit. You know, I didn't, I didn't really want to deal with all that. So we just said, let's just, let's just take your buddies, Nick, and, and we'll start this team. So we only had seven people. <laughs> so, so everybody was going to play, and we had frequent tournaments where – 
like there were only six people available, you know, somebody was on a trip or something. And, and we even had a couple of tournaments where we had five. So playing time was never an issue. That was a good thing. Um, <laughs> awesome. But, but it was actually sort of scary because if one guy got hurt, we, you know, we were done. But it was so much fun. It was Nick and his buddies. And, and uh, I knew most of the parents pretty well. And so it was pretty competitive. And yet, you know, I didn't have many complaints from parents about anything. And um, so we just kind of had fun with it. And I, I was definitely teaching them the fundamentals. We would practice a couple times a week and, and then play in tournaments around San Diego. And occasionally we'd go up to L.A. And it was a blast. I just I loved every second of it. So your daughter played volleyball and she played in the club level and then went on to play at Berkeley. How did that, how, how was that different watching her play, not coaching her and being a part of his basketball career? Well, the volleyball was just, uh, for me, was just purely as a fan. And I, I didn't know the sport very well. Uh, so I wasn't knowledgeable enough to complain anyway. It was, it was an absolute blast just following her as a fan and uh, going to the tournaments and hanging out with the other parents and, and watching the team play and enjoying watching them grow. And I miss that. She just just graduated from Cal last year and finished up her eligibility. And I definitely miss watching her play. And what was your take or you and your wife Margo's take on your third son, Matthew, who didn't play sports? So you had kind of mm-hmm. a variety or didn't play as competitively, right? So just give me some insight as to how you approach that as a professional athlete, as somebody who was intense about basketball. Did you push him into anything? Did you just let him do his own thing? We had one athletic experience with Matthew. He was five years old, and he had seen his older sister going off to play soccer. She was three or four years older than him. And he said, I want to play soccer. We said, okay. I think he wanted the uniform more than anything. So we <laughs> we signed him up. He went to his first practice, he got his uniform, and the first match that he played, it was on like on one of those little 30-yard soccer fields, you know, with the small goals. I mean, I think they're five or six years old at the time. I love those days. And Yeah. And uh, one trip up the field, he laid down in the middle of the field. I went over. I said, you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. They said, well, what's going on? He goes, ah, I'm thirsty. I'd like a Gatorade. <laughs> I think he had run. He had run up the field once, and that was it. And that was it. It's like okay, it's pretty much it. Um, you've made the decision not to play. You're not into it. Well, you, you go do something else that you like better. And that was the extent of Matthew's athletic career. Uh, they are who they are, you know. And and uh, the older two were in, into sports. Matthew was totally into uh, acting and movie making. He's he's now a USC film school. We would drag him along to his older siblings' sporting events, and he would just wander off with his little pen and notepad and write a screenplay or something and endure the uh, the match until we had to drive home. And he just was his own kid and, and uh, totally ended up going in a different route. And it was great. Completely gave our, our family a different dynamic, a different way of life, you know, in terms of his his passion and his path and we went to all his plays in high school and it was so much fun and and it's it's great you know they've all kind of gone off and done their own thing and found their own path it's fun to hear you talk about just how much joy you got out of watching them and and being part of their hobbies and their sports 
What do you make of parents today and the intensity, um, the focus that they're putting on youth sports and really the focus to try and get their kids to where you are at on a pro level playing and making money? Is that what it's ultimately about, do you think? Well, unfortunately, the vast majority of kids are not going to play professionally. They're not even going to get a college scholarship. And so it's a hard thing to reconcile, right? Your, your kid is a good athlete. He wants to pursue it. You want to help him. Great. You know, go for it. But you got to find the balance, right? You have to figure out to what extent are you going and what's the, what's the end goal. So it, it's tricky. I, both of my older kids ended up getting college scholarships, which was great. My daughter ended up playing. She started at Cal all four years, you know, became, became one of their best players. Son got a scholarship to University of San Diego and, and never really got off the bench, didn't, didn't play much. But the focus was never like, okay, these guys are going to go, you know, play professionally. It was, they loved it and uh, they wanted to do as best they could. And I think they both were able to kind of max out their talent and use the sport to further not only their education, but their experience. And my son, Nick, is is now heading off to San Antonio. He's going to work for the Spurs in their video department as an intern. He got his master's at Cal. I love it. Cal. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. He got his master's at Cal. Um, actually, just finishing up his master's. He's got a couple more classes, but he spent last year as a grad assistant on the basketball team for Gonzalo Martin and his staff. And, and so basketball has just been this awesome life for him and path for him. And he loves it, but you know he was—he knew he was never going to play professionally. But he maxed it out, and I feel like you know it was all really a good, healthy path. And same with Madeline, uh, our daughter. She's uh, she's now graduated and studying for law school. And but you know neither one ever felt like they were going to go pro uh, or you know, play on the national team in Maddie's case or anything like that. It was more—they just love to do it. And I think that's the biggest key for any parent. No matter what you're doing with your kid, whether you're hiring private coaches or leaving them to their, their own well-being well and, and just seeing how far they can go, make sure they love it. If they don't love it, it's just not worth it. How do you know, Steve? How do you know if they love it? I think you gotta, I think you got to ask them. You know, I think you have. I, I mean, for, for me and, and Margo, we, we kind of knew because, you know, they were going off to practice excited. And they had a great, great groups of friends amongst their teammates, and they were both really lucky to play in good programs, good cultures where you know there was a joy to the process. But I think you know, had we said, all right, hey, you know, we gotta retire you, this you know, special coach, let's do special training sessions, and and they had said, no, I don't want to do that. I think it would have been an easy easier conversation to say to check in and go hey do you do you even like this and if the answer had been no you know i would i would have backed off and said you know you got to do what you what you love to do i just don't think you can be great at something unless you love it so for us the answer was just in watching them every day watching them take off and be excited for practice and going to join their teammates and but if there's any question, I think it's really an important conversation. And then you got to really figure out, all right, is this, is this worth it? Like, what are we doing here? 
it seems like the multi-sport issue has become such a hot button and kids really, I think, are struggling to play a lot of different sports because you have to get into the club sport so early or you have to be competitive so early. What's your take on, I mean, I have a nine-year-old in Declan who's in fourth grade right now and, you know, physically he has the potential to be a good basketball player. He loves the sport and we're trying to figure out, you know, do you do you let him play in the rec league and enjoy it? At what point do you take it to that next level and get him into, you know, more of a competitive environment where he plays more year round? It's such a difficult question because I, I can see both sides. You know, the, the fact that most kids now are focusing on one sport from an early age means they're developing their skills better than we ever did. You know, than, uh, I mean, I played every sport growing up. We went from one season to the next. And, you know, if, if I were raised in today's environment, I probably would have focused on basketball at a much younger age just to keep up with everybody. And yet I look back and I think playing baseball, playing soccer, playing football, I think it all really helped my growth as an athlete, playing for different coaches, playing with different teammates, using different muscles, you know, learning different skills. I think it all really helped. And then when I look at some of the NBA players I've been affiliated with, Steve Nash, Tony Kukoc, Manu Ginobili, Leandro Barbosa, these guys were all big-time soccer players growing up. Anderson Verjao, who finished his career in Golden State, grew up in Brazil, played soccer, and these guys, you can, for me anyway, I can see this amazing feel for basketball that I think has a direct correlation to soccer. And what I mean by that is you have to be a, a great passer to be a good soccer player. Nobody can play one-on-one in soccer. It just doesn't work. You're going to have your open base to make a move, but the whole game is about passing and moving. And to me, that's what basketball is about. But the guys who played soccer, to me, end up having better vision as basketball players. They see the angles. They see the triangles that form. They see the give-and-go stuff that they did in soccer. And so their court vision in basketball is that much better. But can you really mandate that? Like, you know, how do you tell a young kid, like, you know, who's a betting basketball player, you know, go play soccer. Right. This season, you know, stop doing your, stop doing your basketball training and go play soccer. It's hard to do that. Hard to tell somebody that. It seems like when you speak to a lot of um, head coaches at the professional level, it, it seems like the athlete that they're working with excels in so many different ways. And I think you have to be that full package, right, to make it to become the Steph Curry, to become the Clay Thompson, to become the Kevin Durant. It seems like you're an exceptional athlete, and probably you could be it at multiple sports. Yeah, I think that's true. I think like um, Steve Nash and Steph Curry are probably, and, and I would put Clay in there as well, are probably three of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. And yet, none of them are great leapers. None of them are lightning fast, right? So to me, I look at athletes as, uh, there's, there's different ways of defining athleticism. You've got the, you know, the freak athlete, LeBron James, you know, faster, bigger, stronger than everybody, incredibly explosive. That's one type of athleticism. And then the Nash, Curry, Clay Thompson, where it's hand-eye, where it's ability to see a ball and hit a ball or, you know, throw a ball or you, you watch Steph Curry play golf. You know, he, he actually played on a web.com a tour event, you know, last month and, and did really well. You know, didn't 
didn't come close to making the cut, the cut, but like really handled himself well. You know, the very few athletes can change from one sport to to the other and do really well. But there's a handful that can, and that's a certain type of athleticism that I think is hard to quantify. But it's it really is hand-eye coordination, and uh, a lot of our guys have that. Is that what you had as well? Do you think? I mean, obviously, you played in the NBA, have a number of championship rings. You didn't have the height, though. You maybe didn't have the measurables and that physical wow factor. What What was it that set you apart, do you think? Same thing, hand-eye. You know, hand-eye is generally what makes people great shooters. Obviously, they have to, to work at it as well. And I, I, I couldn't put myself in the same category as Nash or, or Clay or, or Steph Curry, but, but that, was a, that was the kind of athleticism that I possessed. I, I, wasn't, I couldn't run very fast. I couldn't jump at all. But I could play any sport. You know, you could stick a tennis court racket in my hand, and I could play tennis. And stick a golf club in my hand, I can um, be a decent golfer. And you know, whatever sport I played, I could, uh, you know, I could throw the ball and, and hit it, and and uh, and I loved it. I still love playing like softball to to this day. You know, fielding grounders or you know, playing tennis, like all those things just excite me. And, and um, I think there is a certain kind of athlete that just loves to 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 play lots of different sports and that's the hardest thing i think as a parent if you have a kid like that what do you do do you send him into one sport and make you know help him really get better in that one sport or do you let him play multiple sports and and kind of spread himself out a little bit and it's um it, it is a tough question i don't know if there is a right or wrong answer if you had to advise a parent on how to develop a clay, a Steph, a Steve Kerr, what would you tell them? I would say there's got to be a balance in there somewhere. So let's say I'm guessing Steph Curry, just because of his background, you know, his dad played in the NBA for 17 years, I think. In fact, I used to guard, Dell and I used to guard each other. That's awesome. Every time we played one another, so we played against each other for, I don't know, probably overlapped for about 15 years in the NBA. But I would say, you know, Steph probably grew up knowing he wanted to play basketball. They probably, the Currys probably did a, as good a job as anybody raising their kids because Seth, their youngest son, is also in the NBA. But both of them are, uh, you know, multi-sport athletes. Steph played baseball growing up. He played, he played on the golf team in his high school. I would say if you can manage, if you have a sport that you want to focus in on, great. Put in some work each day, but if you want to be on the baseball team, go be on the baseball team. Don't eliminate that from the routine because if you watch Steph Curry now, I've never seen a player play with more joy. Right? He, he has so much joy and happiness in his game. And my guess is if his parents hadn't let him play golf and let him play baseball, maybe it would have been a little bit more of a grind uh, to play basketball day in and day out. I think you've got to find that balance, find the, the, um, the sweet spot of, yeah, develop your game. You want to be really good at this. You got to put some work in, but, but go play another sport. Go, go join a couple, you know, a separate set of teammates. Go play for a different coach. Do, do something different that I think the balance is out kids' lives and makes them happier. So that applies, obviously, to parents and youth athletes. Um, it applies at your level, too. How do you approach a player like Steph Curry and make sure that he continues to be able to play with joy. Does that change after you win a certain amount of championships? I don't think it does. I think, I think one of the 
best concepts I ever learned was playing for Greg Popovich, who was one of my key mentors, uh, along with Phil Jackson and Reed Olson, my college coach. I learned so much from from all three of those guys. But what Pop used to talk about all the time was go fill up the cup. You know, you're going to be such a grind, right? You got so many games, four games in five nights. You get a day off. He would say, all right, guys, you got the day off tomorrow. Go fill up your cup. And what does that mean? Well, it means something different for everybody. So it might mean, you know, just go to the movies with your wife. You know, it might mean, you know, go hang out with your, your kids, you know, take a day off and go to the zoo, whatever. For Steph Curry, for Andre Iguodala, it means go play golf. Those guys love golf. And so I actually <laughs> encourage them constantly during the season when we get a day off. I tell them, it's almost like a, like a teacher giving, you know, giving a kid permission, you know, through their parents. Like, tell your parents <laughs> you have to go play golf. Today. Tell your wife, tell Aisha you have to go play golf. <laughs> and Steph loves it. He just laughs. And Andre, same thing, but it's true. We will actually uh, sometimes tailor our schedule to give them an extra day in a warm city so they can go out on the golf course because I'm well aware that the more they play golf, the happier they're going to be and the better basketball players they're going to be. That might sound crazy, but it's the truth. I know those guys. Um, Steve, tell me, I know you lost your dad at a, at a relatively young age, and I've had the pleasure of meeting your mom. What role do you remember them playing in um, your sports career and instilling a joy of basketball in you? Well, I was really lucky because um, my parents encouraged me to play, you know, whatever sport that I was playing, you know, at that time. But they, they would come to some of the games, not all of them. Um, it was a different time. You know, this was during the 70s. I think parents didn't feel obligated to go to every single game. Right. You know, if they had something else planned, they just did something else. And, and you know, left, left me alone. But, you know, maybe drop me off at the park for the game and, and then pick me up later. Maybe I'd get a ride home with somebody. Uh, but they, they supported me and they wanted me to play. And what really stood out for me was that my parents would never say anything at the games. They would clap. But they wouldn't yell instruction. They wouldn't, you know, cheer too loud, or they wouldn't, you know, yell at the umpire. Yell at the they would just sit there, and they were just supporting me. And I had a horrible temper. I was so competitive that when things went wrong, I would, you know, have a tantrum. Whether really? It was, oh, I was awful. I couldn't channel my competitiveness until I was probably thirteen, fourteen. And a lot of people would argue I still haven't quite <laughs> I have not seen that side. Well, I've broken a few clipboards as coach of the Warriors, and uh, I tend to snap on the officials once or twice a year and get ejected or whatever. But, but really, all the way up until high school, I had such a bad uh, temper, and I would snap. And if I was playing baseball, I'd throw my glove down on the ground, and I'd cry. And my parents would... They would wait until we got home, until I had cooled off a little bit, to um, you know, admonish me and, and talk about you know what was what was going on in my head. But they they were just so quiet at the games. And the thing that I learned, you know, coaching my own kids and following them, was kids learn a lot faster if you just leave them alone. They they really do. And that may sound counterintuitive, but you know I, I always make the analogy. Can you imagine you know as an adult if you're sitting there trying to learn some task? And you had five different people, you know, telling you what to do at the same time. You'd turn and you'd go, 
would you people please leave me alone? I, I, how about one person? How about like one coach? I'll listen to the one coach that I have and everybody else just go do something else and, and leave me alone. And then on top of that, a really good coach is not going to bark instructions the entire time. You can pull you aside and practice and say, you know, try keeping your elbow in on your shot or, you know, whatever the instruction is. And then you leave the player alone because, you know, you learn by doing things, by action. You might need instruction. You might need advice. But the worst thing that a kid can face, you think about a, like a baseball game, he goes up to bat. Third base coach is telling him to keep his elbow in. First base coach is telling him to keep his eye on the ball. You know, parents are yelling something else from the stands and the poor kid's up there all by himself facing the pitch. Like, my God, how many, how many thoughts can a kid have? One it's moment. amazing. And, it gives uh, me anxiety uh, when I when I much. when I see it. It's like, right? yeah, and everybody thinks they're helping, and you just can't imagine why they can't realize that they're not. It's like, yeah, taking a test. Can you imagine being in the classroom and having all those parents yelling as well? Oh. Well, given that you 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 have a little bit of a temper, did it ever flare up at any of your own kids' games? No, no, I never. Never said anything to a coach. You know, our, our, our philosophy, my wife, Margo and me, our philosophy was uh, the kids have to fight their own battle. So, you know, if they weren't getting enough playing time to their liking, then they had to go talk to the coach themselves. We weren't going to do that. Like that, you know, if, it's up to you as the athlete if you have something to gripe about and go talk to the coach. And, and you have to figure out how to do that, right? You have to be respectful. Maybe you, you go see them on an off day after a match, you know, or, or before a game, whatever. And you, you know, you just tell them, you know, be upfront. And, and those are hard conversations, especially for a kid to have, but they're so healthy. To, you know, you learn, you learn so much going through that process of just communicating and learning how to do things for yourself. And it drives me nuts when I see or hear about parents going in to the office of some high school athlete complaining about playing time, like, come on, give me a break. You know, just make the kid fend for himself and, and learn and such a healthier way to, to go about it. Do you ever, um, it just occurs to me that the separation between some of the kids that you're getting in the NBA now with them only playing one year in college, you're getting a pretty young man mm-hmm. um, coming to play professional sports. No doubt. Do the parents, how, how do the parents integrate? Is that ever a learning experience for them as well? It's interesting. It's, it's never a factor, at least it hasn't been for me in the NBA. I know it's a factor for college coaches, but for whatever reason, in three years of NBA coaching, I've never had a parent, you know, call me up. I've met plenty of the parents, you know, at the arena or, and our, par- our, our uh, players are welcome to bring family members to practice. We want people to feel part of the, the family and we want to incorporate families and friends into the group and we want everybody to feel great. And I've never once had a, a parent come up and complain or you know, ask about playing time or anything like that. So I've been lucky. Everybody's been very respectful. I'm reminded of um, watching one of Kevin's teammates um, at the U of A and his dad. I'll, I'll, uh, he'll remain nameless. During the game, come behind Coach Olson and start yelling at him for demanding to know why his son wasn't playing at that moment. Back then, it gave me a good laugh. Yeah, sure. Coach Olson wasn't laughing very hard. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a tough one. I don't know how I would react. You know, I mean, I I think 
every coach just wants to win. And I think honesty is always the way to go. So, you know, as a coach, like if I ever had parent complain to me now, it would be pretty easy, actually, for me. I would just, because I'm, I'm just brutally honest and, and I feel like I'm, I can be diplomatic about it, but I'm always honest with our players. I tell our players all the time, Hey, you're not going to play tonight. I don't like the matchup or, you know what? I'm not going to play you for the next five games because I want to try so-and-so. And when you're honest with players and you just tell them, there's, there's really very little they can say. And that, and I would be the same way with parents. I would just say, look, the other kid is right now is ahead of your son. And if he, you know, he keeps working and something happens injury wise, or maybe he improves in practice, I'll give him a chance. But until then I'm playing, you know, the best guys. And that's not much you can say to them. And Steve, what do you make of, I mean, you have coming into the league now, Lonzo Ball, and we all know LeVar Ball, his father has been very outspoken. I don't know how well you know them, but do you view his outspokenness as a benefit to his child and and what he's trying to do with their brand and kind of taking on the NCAA or a detriment to him? Well, I mean, the kid is obviously doing really well, you know, he's a spectacular player and Second. So it's worked. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's worked or if, you know, if he would be, he'd probably be the same player no matter what. I mean, the kid is gifted and, and talented. To me, it's a, it's a show. There's a branding thing going on. It's, you know, it's Madonna or, you know, it's print, whatever. It's like, a, it's similar to a, a pop star, an actor, or something just trying to create a, a brand somehow. The kid almost seems indifferent to it. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't to think his it was, credit, it seems like from when I watch him. Yeah, yeah, he's so poised and, and uh, professional, and I don't think it's going to be a problem in the NBA. In fact, I've talked to Luke Walton about it, and Luke, Luke said, uh, "Lavar has told him, he said, you're not going to hear from me. Like you, you coach the team, and I'm not going to be, you know, asking you or about anything. You, you coach, coach him however you want to coach." And I think it's mostly branding and marketing, and you know, everybody is different how they want to approach parenting and business and. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. You know, whatever they want to do is, is fine. I just, I, I want to see the kid do really well. I think he's going to be really good. And I think it's all going to turn out fine. I think people make way too big of a deal out of, out of LeVar. And, and he's getting exactly what he wants. He's getting all that exposure. And, you know, ESPN's putting him all over the camera. And that's their right. They're, they're generating all kinds of interest and whatever. I'm, I'm sort of indifferent to it all. Before I let you go, eventually you have to go back to work and, <laughs> and go back to earning another championship. Um, you bring back Kevin Durant, and it seems like you guys have really been able to maneuver the roster. Give me a little bit of an outlook for the upcoming season. Well, I think we're going to be even better this year than we were last year based on um, continuity. Kevin being more comfortable now than he was a year ago and with our group for a year and you know having won a championship and so we basically have everybody back. We lost Ian Clark, who was a, a good player for us, but we picked up uh, Nick Young and Henry Caspi. I think we've added even more talent, more shooting, and um, we've got a bunch of guys who are right in their prime. So I think we're gonna we're gonna have another great year. And uh, I also know that doesn't guarantee anything. There's so much can happen. There's so much competition out there. Injuries can happen, but we've got a great group, and they're committed and competitive, and they have fun and. I can't wait to get back to work. If you had to put your finger on one thing that has allowed you the success you've had these last couple of years, what would it be? Well, honestly, and I'm not trying to be falsely modest, but the one thing is talent. I mean, 
I don't care how good a coach you are. Uh, you can't win at this level, win championships without immense talent. And then we've got that. I would say, I think, you know, when I think about my own coaching job that I've done well, what I'm proud of is constant communication and, and brutal honesty with our players so that every one of them knows they are valued, they know their role. Sometimes those are difficult conversations, telling a guy you're not going to play him, but the players appreciate honesty. And that's what I would advise coaches at any level out there. You just be honest and, and, and constantly communicate because players have, even at the professional level, maybe even more so, players are human beings. They're vulnerable. They have hangups. They have insecurities. And the more that stuff can be out in the open, the better it is for everybody. We try to create an environment with Golden State where there's open communication, where players' ideas are accepted. They know that if they have an idea, strategy, that they suggest, it's just as likely to be as successful as if I offer one or as if one of our assistant coaches offers a strategic move. And so it really is a collaboration. The players need to know that you know what you're doing, but they've got to know that you have their back and that and they've got to know exactly what you're thinking. And that's what I'm most proud of as, as Warriors coaches, just that we've got a really good culture and a good environment and the players really love coming to work each day and, and so does our coaching staff and uh, that's what I take the most pride in. Does that brutal honesty, do you ever have to balance that with, um, do you ever worry, I guess, about killing somebody's spirit if you're too honest? That's where the balance comes in and um, you know, the great thing about the NBA is that you know, everybody really is genuinely talented, right? So you can, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to lie. You you don't have to say, hey, you're really good. You are really good if you're in the NBA. But everybody's circumstances are different. And the guys who aren't playing, it's not that they're not good. It's that there's a log jam ahead of them or they're not as good as the guy in front of them. So there's a, you know, there's always a balance of encouragement and work. You know, the guys aren't playing need to know that their work is going to pay off. And that's why I play a lot of people. I, I actually get criticized sometimes because I play so many people some of our fans think I play too many people, but I mm-hmm. think there's a collective power in playing a lot of people. And so I try to make sure every couple of weeks, if a guy hasn't played, I just throw him out there, even just for a few minutes, just to keep him engaged and keep his, his spirit up. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. So many great insights. Tell your lovely wife hello and bear down. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. That was really fun. And say hi to your family, and that's right, bear down. <laughs>